0: Uh, It's great to be with you all here this afternoon. Uh, My name's Josh. I'm one of the student ministers here. Uh, I come along to 10am and 6.30 at Carlton. So I'm not normally here, but it's a privilege to be with you guys here this afternoon. It's a beautiful passage we just had read for us, uh, Romans chapter 8. We're going to be spending three weeks working through it, and I'm just the first of the three. Uh, But let's pray as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the beauty of it uh, and how it speaks of the great joy that we are now your children and that you allow us to call you Father, the creator of the universe. Help us to see the beauty of this passage that it might change our lives today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as I just prayed, uh, today's passage is one of the beautiful passages in the Bible which describes one of the greatest privileges of the Christian life, of the gospel. That is that we get to call God our Father. That's an amazing privilege. And uh, I've been a father for about three years now. I've got a son, Micah, three years old, and a daughter, Bree. She's one. They come along to 10 a.m., so you won't get to see them much. and you're missing out, they're a great joy. Um, Micah, I love going to go kick a soccer ball with him. It's a lot of fun. It gives me great pleasure. Bree, she's just learning words. And so when she sees a bird, she goes, I love her pointing out things to me. It gives me great joy. My kids can give me great joy, but they can also greatly grieve me. They can frustrate me as they disobey, as they hurt one another, as they steal from one another. My kids can both greatly please me and grieve me. That doesn't change their relationship to me. They're still my children, but their actions do affect me. And so too it is with our Heavenly Father. If you're a Christian, then you're a child of God. Nothing can change that. However, the way we live can please or grieve God. Paul prays in Colossians that the church may walk worthily of the Lord, Fully pleasing to him. And in Ephesians he says, Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. And so our question for us here today, as people who can live our lives to please or grieve God, is how can we please God? That's the question we're going to be exploring today. How can we please God? And we're going to see three things. Firstly, we can't please God by ourselves. Secondly, we can't we can please God by the Holy Spirit. And finally, we seek to please God because we're already adopted. So firstly, we can't please God by ourselves. The point sounds negative, but if you can accept it, it points to the beauty that God saves us. Come with me to verse one and see the beautiful truth of being a Christian. Verse one, Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life In Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. If you have put your trust in Jesus, there is no condemnation. You have sinned, you have stolen, you have cheated, you have been angry. But God has judged your sin on Jesus' death on the cross. And so you have no condemnation. This is the good news of Christianity forgiveness offered to all. No matter how far you've fallen. And if you haven't already put your trust in Jesus, then could I encourage you to do it today. For God doesn't just leave us unchanged. He doesn't just save us so that we would continue living sinful lives. No, God saves us so that we can please Him. Come with me to verse 3. What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son, in flesh like ours, under sin's domain and as a sin offering. Now, we Aussies or New Zealanders, as myself, we, we think laws are a bit of a nuisance. They're a restriction. They're not something that we really like. But God's law is not like that. God's law is good and beautiful. We heard it summarized before when Josh quoted Jesus. Jesus summarizes God's law as love God and love your neighbor. It's a beautiful law, and it would be a great thing if we could follow it. And the law was meant to save us, but the law was limited by something. Look at verse 3. What was the law limited by? The law was limited by the flesh, by our flesh, by our sin. And so God did what the law couldn't do. God saved us. And why did God do this? Come with me to verse 4. In order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God saved us so that the law would be accomplished in us. Now, we Christians sometimes get confused about our relationship to God's law Uh, If you're a Christian, you might know that God's law uh, points us to our sin. It reveals our sin and our need for Jesus. That's the first uh, use of the law. If we could move to that slide. Uh, First use of the law, purposes of God's law, reveals our sin and our need for Jesus. That's the first use and most important. However, that's not the only use of God's law. And we see it here in verse 4. Because once we are Christians... God's law continues to tell us what is pleasing to God. So of course, some parts of God's law have been fulfilled by Jesus. We don't have any earthly priests because Jesus is our high priest. We don't have any earthly sacrifices because Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. But other parts of the Old Testament law still apply for us here today. Parts like, you shall have no other gods before God or you shall not covet, that is desire something that is not yours. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or wife. These continue to tell us what please God. And that's what Paul means in verse 4 when he says that the law would be accomplished in us who walk according to the Spirit. We are free from the condemnation of the law. We saw that in verse 1. But our freedom doesn't mean we disobey the law. Rather, as saved people, we obey the law and fulfill it, even today. But how can we fulfill the law? How can we accomplish it? We've seen throughout Romans that humanity is broken. And verses 5 to 8 continue to describe this brokenness as it describes those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to God's Spirit. And in verse 8 we read, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What a bleak verse. If you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. We so often think humanity's not that bad, that God is impressed by what we do. But you read verse 8 and you see, those in the flesh cannot please God. This is offensive to us and to our world. But if you're able to accept it, it's actually a beautiful truth because it means that you're no longer weighed down by trying to obey God's law by yourself, but you trust in what Jesus has done, what God did, and so that you have no condemnation. Uh, some of you guys might know a book uh, called Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, it was written by a guy called John Bunyan in the uh, 1680s. Old book. I encourage you to read it if you've got some spare time. It's an allegory of the Christian life. Uh, And Pilgrim's Progress describes uh, the guy who's called Christian, Uh, so it's not exactly a real person, but allegory. And it describes his journey from not being a Christian to being a Christian and then to fulfilling living a faithful Christian life and going through all the journey that often we Christians experience. And it talks about this first part of the journey as he comes to being a Christian. And he starts to realize his sinfulness and his need to obey God's law, to love God and to love his neighbor. And so he starts trying to do that. And as he does that, he keeps failing and failing. And so as he keeps failing, he has this growing burden on his back. It becomes like a humpback. It grows out. And you can see he's weighed down by this attempt to try to obey God's law by himself. He's weighed down by it. But as he comes to the cross in the story, he sees it. Jesus paid for his sin. He sees that Jesus lived the righteous life he couldn't live. And so at that moment, as he puts his trust in Jesus, the burden falls off his back. He realizes there's no condemnation, that I can't please God by myself. And so he puts his trust in Jesus. And so it may seem like a harsh point. We can't please God by ourselves. If you can accept it, it's actually a beautiful point that frees you from all the guilt that you may have in your life. So who do you think you are? You're either in the flesh and you cannot please God, or you're in the Spirit and you can please God. There's no middle ground. You're either in the flesh or in the Spirit. And I don't know about you guys. Looking at myself, I feel pretty fleshy. I feel in flesh. You guys look pretty fleshy to me. But look at what verse 9 says. You, however, are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Paul wants the Romans to know that despite their flesh like bodies, they are actually in the Spirit. And notice that the word Spirit is capitalized here. It's not a force or an idea, but it's actually a person. It's the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to our second point. We can please God by the Holy Spirit. We're no longer in the realm of the flesh, unable to fulfill God's law. Rather, God has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can love God and love our neighbor. And verse 9 makes it clear that every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is amazing because he's actually started new life in you. I don't know if you knew that, that when you became a Christian, new life has started in you because of the Holy Spirit. Come with me to verse 10. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal, lives, mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you our bodies are destined to die but the holy spirit has already started new life in us christians have both death and life a part of us today and this affects our future and even our lives today we see in verse 11 how the spirit's new life affects our future currently our bodies they live in the realm of the flesh we see that They draw us to sin, but in the future, our mortal bodies will be raised, perfected. In the future, our bodies will be in the realm of the Spirit. That's not to say that they won't be physical. Like Jesus' resurrection body, they will be physical, but they will be perfected and without sin. But the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't just an assurance of our future resurrection. But more than that, it actually changes how we live today. So come with me to verse 12. And you notice at the start of verse 12, it says, So then, he's connecting the Spirit's new life in us today and how we should live. He says, So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Because of the new life from the Spirit, we're told to put to death the deeds of the body. Notice, put to death, this is war. This is war imagery. We must no longer use our mouths to speak harshly or our eyes to lust after things that aren't ours or our hands to steal. Rather, we're now to use our body for God's glory. We show that we should now use our eyes to consider the needs around us, our mouths to encourage and our hands to give. Verse 13 shows that we are active in putting sin to death. That is, we must be active in this, actively seeing sin in our life and put it to death. And yet at the same time, it is only by the Spirit that we'll have any success. But my question is, how do you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? How does the Spirit work here? I think... God's Spirit works through His Word, through our minds and our fellow believers to convict us of sin. God has given us His Spirit in our lives and in our brothers' and sisters' lives at church, and we hear God's Spirit through His Word, and so it convicts us of sin, and His Spirit empowers us to overcome sin as we see it. A wise pastor once wrote, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. When was the last time you saw sin in your life and fought it? So often it's easy as a Christian to think back to what I did 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe something I did when I was, came to Christ. But this is something that's ongoing for every day of the Christian life, no matter whether you're 10 or 80. When was the last time you saw sin in your life and fought it? When someone suggests that you're being unloving, do you listen to their concern? Do you listen to your spouse's concern, your friend's concern, your pastor's concern, or maybe even a child's concern? I remember walk, working alongside a dearly loved Christian brother. and In a meeting, he would give some harsh feedback, and when confronted about it, he would say, oh, it's just the way I am. I'm a critical thinker, without thinking about how his harsh feedback in that context could be unloving. And I know for myself, I often think like this too. I remember a sister in Christ, she came to me, graciously pointed out that maybe I was being proud and arrogant. And I said, that's just the way I am. It's just part of my humor. That's just the way I am. I don't know if you've ever said that yourself. It's a great phrase for acknowledging maybe God-given differences between us. That's true. There really can be. But it can also be a great phrase for excusing sin in our lives. And when we see sin in our lives, we need to recognize it as sin, confess that sin, pray for God's help, and kill that sin. So we can please God by the Holy Spirit. But why do we seek to please God? It's not to be saved. We can already see that Jesus has saved us. So why do we seek to please God? Our third point, we seek to please God because we are already adopted. Like a child wanting to please his parents, we too seek to please God, our Father. Come with me to verse 14 and see how we're described. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. That is, we are all God's sons. Now don't be confused by the gendered language here. Some translations say children of God. But the language of son is important because it's trying to communicate something in their culture. That is that the son in their culture was in the privileged position. They were the ones that received the inheritance. And here Paul is telling us that every Christian, male or female, is in this privileged position as a son. That we have the awesome hope of God's inheritance. And with this honored position, this should give us great confidence as we come before God. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. When we speak to the God of the universe, we say, Our Heavenly Father. Have you considered how outrageous that is? The God who has made everything in this world, who flung stars into space, who lives in unapproachable light. And like Jesus, we address him as our dad. Our Heavenly Father. It's amazing. And this is even more amazing because God didn't owe us anything. He chose to adopt us. And so we don't have to fear. Even when we're struggling with sin, we can cry out to God to help us. Now, you might not have a good relationship with your earthly father. Maybe you feared him. Maybe he was harsh. I know for myself, I often, too often wonder if that's me, and I look to my heavenly father for a description of what I should be like. But don't confuse your heavenly father with your earthly father. Our heavenly father is one of love, and this is a relationship not of fear, but of love. J.I. Packer, a great theologian, describes adoption as the greatest privilege of Christianity. And he encourages Christians to remind themselves every day these six facts so that it might help you to live your life rightly today so that you might please God. He encourages Christians to remind themselves that I am a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Saviour is my brother. And every Christian is my brother too. Maybe you need to remind yourself that this week, that you are a child of God, that God is your father, that heaven is your home, and that every day is one day nearer, and that your saviour is your brother, and that every Christian is your brother too. When you realise that you've been adopted as God's child, then you have the safety to bring sin into the light. Because no sin can undo your adoption So you have the confidence in your gospel team to bring sin out, to ask for help, to confess it. You have the confidence to bring it up with Christian brothers or sisters because you know that nothing can undo your adoption with God. And so brothers and sisters, we seek to please God because we are already adopted. We don't look for bare minimums in the Christian life. We don't ask, what do I need to do? Rather, in every situation, we ask, "How can I please God? How can I use my time to please God? How can I use my money to please God? How can I use my skills and gifts God has given me to please God and honestly i 've been so encouraged by our wider church snack and even you guys here at four thirty as i 've come along because I regularly see people involved in church life look, looking to use their time, skills, and money to serve one another, and to serve our community. I see people arriving early to set up church. I see people welcoming newcomers. I see people staying late to help pack up. People going out to advertise about the life course, to tell about the gospel. and so many things that we can see, and that's only in our church life. And there's so much more outside of our church life and the ways we can please God. But as a church, we are seeking to please God. Can I encourage you with that. But as we do this, let's continue to remember why we do that. We do that because we are already adopted. Brothers and sisters, as we finish up, let us be reminded that God, our Heavenly Father, can be pleased by our actions, and He can be grieved by our actions. And so, as we seek to please God, we need to remember that we can't please God by ourselves. We need to be saved by Jesus. And so we need to put our trust in Jesus. And hear those beautiful words, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. However, once you've put your trust in Jesus, you're given the Holy Spirit. He's created new life in you. And that affects you both in the future and today, here now, so that you can increasingly love God and love your neighbor. Remember, as we do all these things, as we accomplish the law, even in our lives today, remember that we seek to please God because we are already adopted. This won't change our relationship with God. We can't fall out of this adoption and fall into it. We are adopted, and so now we seek to please our Heavenly Father. Why don't we pray to Him now? Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Remind us that Jesus has paid it all for our sins. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that one day he will raise our bodies and help us even today to put sin to death by the Spirit as we await that final resurrection. And Heavenly Father, thank you that you have adopted us, that we are your children. Help us to see how we can please you in our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.